If you have your Bibles, uh, would you open them to Luke chapter 10? Luke chapter 10. I want us to consider this idea of being thankful for sight. I'll read this one section, but I'll be interacting with the context around it. And here is what uh, Jesus is thankful for. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and to anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see, and they did not, and to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your word, and as we spend a few moments thinking about this passage, Lord, I know that that our hearts might be heavy with the cares of the world. Many of us uh, might be battling numerous fears, and I pray, Lord, that you might have an encouraging word, that your people would be a people who always have reason to give thanks. If you strip us of health, of family, of life, of jobs, of food, of safety, how is it that we can still rejoice? Father, I pray that you will um, break through and show us the anchor, the essence of gratitude for the life of a believer. I pray that you will use your servant even this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to deal with the passage in its context, but um, man, two, 2020 has been a, a rough year. Um, if you count the flooding in Mississippi and if you go on right after that into uh, the coronavirus, and if you were to make a list of maybe things that you've lost this year, or maybe not just things you've lost, Maybe things that family members or friends or neighbors or coworkers or grandchildren or children or friends, what, what would be on that list? I know people who have lost weddings and down payments and jobs and safety. I know what it's like to bury someone in the middle of a pandemic and you can't gather and do the normal uh, repast that you would normally do. That some of us have lost uh, peace and comfort and hope. That these are real things that people are losing, in an essence, in, in this season. But I want you to, I want to put a question before you, and, and that's to all of us. If we lost everything, can a Christian still rejoice? If we lost everything, life, a missionary career that we thought we'd have, a spouse, children, if we lost it all, 
could a Christian still find reason to rejoice and be thankful? And this passage, I think, is going to get to that, and it's going to answer that question with a resounding yes. I want us to look at it under three headings. I want to look, up, look at it, a group rejoicing, a gracious reminder, and a glorious reality. A group rejoicing. That if you look at this passage, you go back up to Luke chapter 10, this is the context. The Lord has just appointed the 72 disciples to go out and to preach the gospel. But as they go out, he gives them what I would say is, is three essentials. He gives them abundant resources or abundant provision. He gives them abundant power. He gives them, uh, I mean, look at it. He actually tells them in verses 4 through 8 that when you go out, he says, do not take any money with you. Rather, you eat what they give you in their homes. In other words, they have access to food. And they come back, all 72 of them. And so it's obvious that they did not lack anything. He also gave them unlimited power over sickness in the physical realm, diseases that people battered, cancers that ate their bodies, disorders that ran rampant. All they did was show up prayed or perhaps touched them, and there was, they were cured right there in a the moment. That's in verse 9. He says, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near. And the scope of their power also moved into the spirit realm. Look at chapter 10, verse 17. He says, even the demons are subject to us in your name. This is what the 72 said. That they were guaranteed that not even death could harm them. Verse 19 Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Do you see what they have? They have power. They have provision. And did you catch what happened when they returned? They returned with joy, marveling at what they just experienced. Look at verse 20 of chapter 10. And Jesus rebukes them. You've seen the spirits obey you. You've had all the food that you've needed. You've had the power you've needed. You've had the provision that you've needed. And he actually says, don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice in this power that you've endured. Don't rejoice in this sway over death that you have experienced that's not where your true joy is now why why does he say don't rejoice over everything you just did over everything you just saw over everything you just had why does he say i tell you don't find your source of joy there because he's given us a gracious reminder and this is the gracious reminder that's embedded in what jesus tells them what you just experienced is the exception, and it's not the norm. Hear me say that, that his abundant power, his abundant provision, his abundant protection over the enemy, that is the exception. It's not the norm. Now, why, how do we know that? If you go the passages before this and passages after this in Luke 9, 
the chapter right before it. Herod, who has just beheaded John the Baptist, he says, I thought I beheaded this dude. Who is this Jesus guy? That, that's Jesus's way of saying, Herod's going to be after us. In Luke 9, he says, whoever will follow me, count your costs, take up the cross and follow me. And, and as they treat me, they're going to do to you. In Luke 12, fear not the one that can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the body and cast thy soul into hell. Luke 21, when you go before leaders and governors and kings, they will lay hands on you and some will kill you. In other words, what you get right here in the middle of the persecution, in the middle of the danger, in the middle of everything that will be the norm for the disciples is this temporary. It's temporary. What you get is this temporary exception to the norm. It's this inbreaking of God's kingdom. It's to give them this power, this provision, to give them all of this, this protection right here and right now for this particular moment to show the world that the kingdom of God has come. And so that's what they go and do. And so they come back assuming that this is going to be the norm. And he says, no, 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 this is temporary. Don't anchor your gratitude in what you have right here and now in this chapter. This is a down payment. It's a glimpse. It's the exception to the norm. And it's to bear witness that the kingdom of God has come in verse 11. And so I don't want to minimize provision or power or protection just to minimize it. Having food and being physically protected from suffering. The ability to win bouts of spiritual warfare and attack. No, these things are good. As children of God, these are things that we should expect. We pray to the Lord, give us today our daily bread. Food is important. We pray to the Lord for triumph over evil. That's important. We pray to the Lord for victory over temptation. We pray to the Lord for power. We pray to the Lord that the gospel would go far and wide. We pray for the very things that they get in this passage. And so we pray for a cure for COVID. We pray that our jobs would remain intact. We pray for our mental health. We pray for the safety of our families. We pray for the safety of our children. We pray that the Lord will be gracious and merciful that he will spare death. And yet, that's not the source of our ultimate joy. He says, don't rejoice over these things. And whatever he finishes that sentence with has to be one of the things that cannot be taken away from us even if we lose those other things. That whatever it is that he says is the root of joy for the believer. That it has to be more precious than even those other things. Is it possible to have a joy that is present when all of these things are threatened? 
Is it possible to, to know how to be brought low and how to abound? Is there a secret to facing plenty and then when we have nothing? You see, that's the essence of the Christian life. Is that we can find a reason to rejoice when God gives and when God takes away. Which moves us into the glorious reality. You see this in verse 20. He says, do not rejoice in this. And he's talking about everything that you've seen, the power, all of that. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you and everything that you've experienced. He says, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the source of joy. That's the unmovable truth that will give us gratitude no matter what circumstance we endure. And this is one instance where I actually don't like the section break that you see from verses 20 to 21, and here's why. One, look at verse 21, Luke tells us that in the same hour. In other words, he's actually saying like, hey, there's a connection between everything you saw in Luke 10 to what I'm telling you right now in the same hour. And there's a connection around this joy. Jesus says in the same hour, he rejoiced. He just told them they came back rejoicing over power, over provision, over protection. He says, no, don't rejoice over that. And then he says, rejoice over this. And then Jesus rejoices in the Holy Spirit. And this is what gives Jesus joy. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven, Lord of earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and you revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and to anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. You see. Your names are written in heaven. This kingdom that the people up in the previous chapter in Chorazin and Bethsaida in Tyre and Sidon in Capernaum, right there in 10, 13 through 15, Jesus goes through these woes. He goes to the, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Why does he say woe to them? Because they saw the signs of the kingdom and the kingdom was not visible to them. They were still in darkness. And Jesus turns to his disciples, but you're not in darkness. You see. You see me. And you see my kingdom. And you see my worth. And you see my identity. And if you lose all of those things, power, protection, provision, your plans are, 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 don't happen like you thought they would happen, He says, you can still rejoice because you see me. He's trying to get them to anchor their gratitude around that which is preeminent for the believer. That is, we see him. 
and we see his kingdom and we see his heart and we see him at work and we treasure him in his word. And see, here's the beautiful reward for those who see Jesus and the Father. That over here, which was a temporary inbreaking, where there is abundant power, there is abundant provision, and there is abundant protection, for those of us who see him, that was not a just then in their truth. That's going to be your new reality. One day, Satan will be bound and he will be chained and he will not torment you or God's people again. And you will have abundant protection. One day, you will see this earth, and it will be renewed, and it will be more beautiful than you can imagine, and life with your king will be beautiful and breathtaking, and one day, you will have no lack, no fear of death, no suffering, no sorrow. You will be with your king, Jesus. And so what they got in the temporary that broke in for a moment, it didn't just bear witness that the kingdom had come. It is going to be the essence of the new kingdom that is coming in its fullness. And what Jesus is saying, it's worth it. If you see him now, you'll see him then. That is what I think gives us reason. That if we lose it all, we can still be a thankful people. Our names are written in heaven and we see. One of my favorite hymns is How Sweet and Awful is the Place. While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cries with thankful tongue, Lord, was, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room? When thousands make the wretched choice and rather starve than come. If you've come and you see, Jesus has been gracious and kind to you. My prayer is that that will shape Everything we see, even if we lose things. My prayer for us is that we would have reason to give thanks, even if things are taken from us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and as we turn our hearts to ponder all of your goodness to us, make us a thankful people. Make us a people that are thankful that we see and that we're yours and we're known by you. Make us thankful for all the additional things you give us, like food and like shelter, like safety, like provision. These things are great. 
Help us to be a people that can give you praise and honor and adoration. Open our eyes that we would see your hand at work, whether we have excess or little. Create in us, Lord, a heart like your son that rejoices even when he had no place to lay his head, even as he would lay down his life for your people, that we have a, a, a Savior who was always praising you, always thankful, always witnessing your hand at work. Shape our hearts after his heart, I pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.